Welcome, one and all, to the Death-Defying Human Flycast. My name is Max Romero, and I'll be your host on this one-of-a-kind journey into the world of the superhero stuntman called the Human Fly. With me today is our very special guest, Steve Gibbons. Thanks for being here, Steve. Hey, Max. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I am glad to have you here. Uh, so, you know, let's jump right into it. You have never read The Human Fly before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, as a matter of fact, the uh, I am a longtime comic book fan and reader, uh, but the first time I ever heard about the character or the comic book was uh, when I first saw the promo or first listened to the promo for your podcast. So I'm like, <laughs> The Human Fly. <laughs> you know, I wish I could say that that was unique. <laughs> the, the Human Fly just kind of, you know, Flew under people's radar, I guess, yeah, you know, for yeah. a long time. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are going to be covering issue number two. Uh, it, it's a, again, it's a 19-issue run, and that was when it was canceled, unfortunately. You were introduced to the, the Human Fly through the podcast, mm -hmm. and now you've actually read an issue. Yes, so, I have, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so what were your overall impressions of this insanity? Well, let me start off first by saying when I first heard the promo, The Human Fly, I conjured up a visual in my head that has absolutely nothing to do with the actual <laughs> visual of the character. <laughs> I was literally like expecting a character that uh, looked like a fly. I'm like, okay, or, or some sort of, uh, I, I'm not necessarily like Jeff Goldblum, like, uh, the fly type <laughs> of thing, but I was expecting something along those lines. And then when I, I finally, uh, when you asked me to do the show and I finally read the comic and looked at it, I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm still am puzzled as to why, uh, why a fly? Why is he called the human fly? <laughs> well, you know that is actually a good question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point out two things. You are absolutely correct. There is nothing about his costume or his anything that he does that would indicate a, a fly. <laughs> you know, the insect. Yeah. Also, uh, someone had asked this. I don't remember if it was in the comments or if it was uh, somewhere on social media. But back in the day, daredevils, especially the ones who would scale buildings and bridges and that sort of thing, were called human flies because they seem to just kind of cling to the side of the building. And oh. I think I think that is where this comes from. All right. Well, that that makes a, a little bit of sense. Uh, uh, OK. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of Marvel fans, uh, rightfully so, I think confuse the human fly with the villain human fly or yeah. actually I think he's just a fly i don't remember but you know there is another human fly who is actually a bad guy who does look like a fly and who was a spider-man villain right exactly yeah that's that's the one so i think sometimes people hear the human fly and they think it's that guy 
but it's actually not. <laughs> it's it's a it's a stuntman uh, who was based on a real guy, and both of them just disappeared in the in the late seventies, <laughs> and that was it for the fly. Never to be heard of again. <laughs> Never to be heard from again. Literally, I mean that was it was so strange. And you know people, we're not going to rehash it here, but you know people can listen to the first episode for a very in-depth conversation about uh, Rick Rojat, who was suspected of being the real life human fly. And uh, this character, who was based on him, sort of, mm-hmm. it's it's complicated. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yes, the the human fly is, uh, you know, every cover has mm-hmm. the wildest superhero ever because he's real, and that's because he was a licensed character based on a real life stuntman who wore a costume that looked exactly like this. It's a whole murky kind of thing, <laughs> going yeah. back to that. But, you know, today we're going to talk about the character, the human fly. I was also going to add that I was uh, um, going into this uh, based on uh, what I listened to in the first podcast and what I was able to find out doing a little bit of research ahead of time. Um, I was really dubious going into this, reading this, because just like you said, it it's a licensed property. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, is this going to be like some like just a commercial for this character they're trying to promote. Like, uh, I mean, what are they selling? What are they trying to uh, make money on here? Like what's going on? And uh, so I was, I was really dubious and I will hold off on revealing my final opinion until we get into the actual comic. But, uh, but that's kind of the mindset I went into also when I, when I started learning about the character and, and the background and everything. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. I, I think even hearing some of the background, most people would be a little dubious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't, I do not blame you at all. <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and get into the summary of this issue, which is titled "Race to Destruction." The story opens with a truly insane stunt. The human fly is standing and shackled to a couple of speeding race cars heading for twin ramps. And at the end of the ramps is a huge tank of water topped with a flaming film of gasoline. Escaping his shackles, the fly dives into the flaming tank and seconds later bursts out of the side of the tank in an explosion of gushing water. The stunt is part of a whole daredevil show put on by producer Cyrus T. Barker. After the stunt, the human fly is approached by an admirer and fellow daredevil, Johnny Blaze. Meanwhile, the disbelieving Harmony White of West TV is still dogging the fly, determined to expose him as a glory seeker running some sort of scam. She also has a new theory, that the human fly is one of five men who all recovered from crippling accidents around the same time. One of those men, Formula One driver Alex Marks, is supposed to be competing in the doomsday race, and she sets out to prove he is the human fly. Following the fly into a trailer and finding only Marks just makes her more sure even after he explains he's lost his confidence and the fly is the only reason he can even walk again. The fly supposedly went out the back way. Soon enough, the drivers are lined up for the doomsday race, including Johnny Blaze on his custom skull cycle and Alex Marks. The prize, half a million bucks. But wait, Marks pulls down his scarf and reveals the human fly. The race has begun and almost immediately cars are eliminated, literally. The Doomsday Race is like a crazy combination of Rollerball, Death Race, and Thunderdome. Cars are are besieged by sharp metal shafts spiking out of the ground and shifting bridges, and before long, Johnny Blaze and the Human Flyer are the only racers left. Johnny is thrown off a bridge that suddenly flips him into a lake below while the fly guns it and makes it across. 
Alone, a transformed Johnny Blaze rises out of the water in the form of his demonic alter ego, the fiery Ghost Rider. The flames of the spirit of vengeance set the lake aflame. The surface is covered with oil, a death trap for any crash survivors. Back at the starting line, shaken drivers begin to make their way back. Harmony begins to suspect the race is designed to make sure no one could win and follows Cyrus Barker to the race office. Back at the race, Ghost Rider catches up to the human fly and sees his car is burning. He pulls up next to the flaming car, giving the fly a chance to jump from his vehicle to the skull cycle. The duo enter a tunnel, which is suddenly sealed behind them as a giant fan turns the passage into a wind tunnel. The two are pushed out over a cliff and the strain is too much for Ghost Rider and the skull cycle begins to disappear. Thinking fast, the fly uses his baton to snag a nearby power line. Ghost Rider grabs his legs and together they slide down to a rocky outcropping. Meanwhile, Cyrus Barker sees the two have survived his traps. Barker was behind it all so he could keep the money. Now, he'll just have to steal it. But as he's about to clean out the safe, Alex Marks steps out of the shadows, revealing that he's been keeping an eye on him since he, that he's the same promoter from the race that almost killed him. In a blink, Barker starts to pull a gun while Marks accuses him of sabotaging his car before punching Barker out cold. Later, his confidence restored. Mark shakes hands with Johnny Blaze and the human fly, who tells him the proceeds will be donated to a charity in Marks' name. A frustrated Harmony White looks on, determined to investigate the other four men on her list. Next issue, Fortress in the Sky. Okay, so what did you think? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I want to start first, uh, I, I, that cover, um, the cover of the comic. Um, I was, uh, this is Carmine Infantino doing the cover. Uh, I should, I should actually mention, uh, who the creators of this comic were. Uh, we have Bill Mantlo as a writer. Bill Mantlo wrote all the issues. Carmen Infantino as the artist. Dan Green was the inker. Uh, I Watanabe was the letter and colorist. And Archie Goodwin is the editor. And as you mentioned, uh, Infantino did this cover as well as the interiors. And this was the only issue of The Human Fly that Infantino would draw. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, well, anyway, the cover, uh, is, uh, definitely eye catching, uh, cause you've got a uh, ghost rider looking like he's diving right into, uh, this field of spikes and I'm looking at what the human fly is doing and I have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> he, he's either panicking or having a grand old time. His arms are splayed out like he's Rose and Titanic. And he is like, I'm flying, I'm king of the world thing type, whatever. Um, but it's definitely, uh, it, it's a fantastic cover. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's, it definitely gets across like this is an adventure, but there's, but I, I get a real sense of, of, of fun and some lightheartedness going on here as well. Like this isn't a, uh, a dire and serious comic book type of thing. Oh no, not at all. You know, you're, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The human fly is kind of hovering over the motorcycle, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know if he's... Uh, is he being thrown off or is, is he... thrown off? Is he yeah, jumping off? Is he, what is he doing? Is he bouncing somehow? Uh, it, is, it is mentioned in the story that, that Ghost Rider, for some reason, is having trouble maintaining the motorcycle because of the added weight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is... Something I've never seen Ghost Rider complain about before, but I don't know, maybe maybe the fly is super heavy because he has that all steel skeleton now. 
<laughs> so I don't know, but it's a, it's a it's a nice uh, you know dos ex machina yeah. for for the the adventure to continue. No pun intended. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, one thing I really like about the covers, you know, they're these are the usual artists on the human fly is usually Lee Elias or uh, Frank Robbins. Uh, there are a couple of issues, uh, issues 16 and 17 that were drawn by Bob lovers, but for the most part, uh, Elias and Robbins were either one of those two, uh, drew most of the, of the issues and all of the covers, including the, this Infantino one are really eye catching. I think mm-hmm. they're really effective. They're, they're, uh, they're muscular and they're dynamic uh, something is always happening, happening. There's always a sense of movement. Uh, and it just, it always looks, you know, just off the charts, mm-hmm. which is, which is something I want in my comics. <laughs> you know, that's, that's yeah, definitely. Something I want. Yeah. Everything you just said is true for this cover. I mean, uh, yeah, you, so you said it much more, uh, succinctly than I did, but, um, yeah, uh, this uh, it definitely if if you're a kid looking at like looking at a comic book rack in the 70s, uh, this is going to catch your eye. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and Ghost Rider was enjoying kind of a, a golden age in in that period uh, as a character, so it makes total sense. I mean, the the last issue featured uh, Spider Man. This one features Ghost Rider. The next few issues you know, further on will also feature some characters, you know, they're obviously trying to, uh, to goose sales on this comic book. Sure. And, uh, this was mentioned, uh, in the previous episode, but you know, it seems pretty obvious that Marvel, I don't know if I want to say believed because that mm-hmm. <laughs> might be a going too far, but you know, they obviously thought that human, that the human fly had legs, you know, they thought that there was something there obviously because they were trying to sell it by, plugging in their extra, uh, well, not their extra, but their, uh, more popular characters that could also just be something they probably did for a lot of comics, trying to see what stuck and what didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have loved to have been in the Marvel bullpen when all this was being discussed, because I, I can only imagine not only the, uh, Ramateri, uh, family who owns the, the rights of the human fly, but I, I could just imagine what that back and forth was <laughs> between Marvel <laughs> and this and this uh, this guy who showed up with another guy dressed in this costume. <laughs> I mean, it, it must have been amazing. I wish I could have seen that. Uh, uh, dare, dare I say it? I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Oh, I, man. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I have no shame. <laughs> I, I have zero shame. But, yeah, I mean, and this is... Um, it's great, you know, and Ghost Rider has such a great look. It's hard to screw up a motorcycle skeleton on fire. Yes. And and of <laughs> course, of course this looks this looks great. I mean, you're already halfway there with Ghost Rider on your cover. Exactly, exactly. And uh uh kind of uh this dovetails into my earlier comment about uh me being very dubious about a licensed property being put into a comic book and what's the ulterior motive here. Because uh, one thing I'm going to be, I was going into this with, okay, like as a writer, as an artist, you're being told by whoever, yeah, we have this licensed property, write a comic book with this character. We need to promote it. We need to make it as big as possible. 
but I'm thinking as a writer, you know, Bill Mantlo, I, he, I, if with everything he, he did, you know, I know he had the Micronauts, uh, comic book that was very popular and, and lasted longer than the toy line. Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, a bad writer, right? Uh, he wasn't someone who was just going to be a hack and, and, and write whatever, you know, he just basically put it out there just to make it sell. And I was wondering, like going into this, what was he going to try to, was he going to try to make an interesting story and do things that, you know, made sense within the, the realm of this character and, you know, Ghost Rider uh, makes sense here, you know, in, in some ways to me, uh, because of the, of the tie in with, uh, the racing and, uh, mm. just the, the, there's more uh, to me, there's a gel here in, in a way that, um, I didn't read the comic, but, uh, when I listened to the episode where Spider-Man appears, I'm like, uh, it seemed like Spider-Man was, was being <laughs> shoehorned into the story. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas with this ghost rider actually, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's a, there's an, or more organic feel to him being part of this story. You know, I, one, I, I'm not familiar enough with the ghost rider comic at the time to say whether or not it was an accurate or faithful depiction of ghost rider uh but it, it feels it feels right it feels like there's a better fit here mm -hmm. I, I would agree and yeah. one of the things is that uh for featuring ghost rider on the cover ghost rider is actually barely in this comic that's true uh, yes. he, is, he shows up in, in the last few scenes and and that's pretty much it mm -hmm. you know there's there's some um you know it, it's bookended with appearances by johnny blaze but for the most part, you know, it's he he's there, but uh, he doesn't drive the story, which sure. makes sense. It's not his book. Uh, but, yeah, it makes perfect sense because in the, in the Marvel Universe of the time, of course, these two daredevils slash stuntmen are probably going to show up at the same in, in the same, uh, you know, big events. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, I think you're absolutely right. I think it makes perfect sense for Johnny Blaze and the Human Fly to eventually run into each other. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 there's even a line of dialogue where the Human Fly he knows Johnny Blaze, like he's heard of him. You know, there, so right. there is a, uh, you know, so again, those little touches when you see a writer doing stuff like that, I'm like, okay, this is they're doing something a little bit more than. Uh, just running a, a, a story to make a buck or to put it out there as a, like, we gotta, we've got to promote this property. Like they're trying to tell a good story here. And I was, uh, you know, in the process of reading this story, I was thinking back to when I was growing up, I'm more of an eighties kid. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, the, all the Saturday morning cartoons, and I, I think like 80% of them were all licensed properties of some kind, you <laughs> right. know, basically big promotions, but yeah, I, I, you Rubik know, the amazing cube anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, one of my favorite cartoons growing up was, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and you know, that was a licensed property. Uh, and I remember thinking, you know, those, some of those stories, some of those episodes have stuck with me, even from having watched them as a, like a seven or eight year old, you know, they, they stuck with me. They, they, they had an impact on me. 
not not necessarily like in this profound way it, it changed my life or something along those lines uh but as terms of like being like oh that was that in, that engaged different parts of my brain that i hadn't by that the, the, in a way that the pac-man cartoon didn't <laughs> you <know? laughs> well you know that's a that's an interesting point because for one thing i loved that cartoon i have it on dvd I, you know, it, it is a part of me. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Dungeons and Dragons had, well, no, Dungeons and Dragons was better than it had any right to be. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think it's better than, you know, a lot of D&D movies that I've seen. You know, there was a, but oh, the, that's a very low bar. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, it's a great cartoon because it had uh, great storytelling. And I think that was a hallmark of uh, Mantlo's writing because, you know, you're right. He could have easily just scribbled off anything. He just, just junk. Uh, But he always seemed to put thought into what he was doing and to really try to make characters that connected not only with each other, you Mm -hmm. know, within, within the story, but that connected with readers in a way that was engaging and felt real. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think he does it again. Well, he's starting to do it with this, with, uh, the human fly. And it's, um, you know, I'm always impressed and I always admire Mantlo's commitment to a story. And especially when he is often working with almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that, um, struck me when I was reading this is that, uh, I, I don't mean this as a criticism, but the human fly as a character is pretty two dimensional. There's not, you, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of, of, well, you get no thought balloons for the, uh, for the human uh, fly. I don't, at least I don't think you do. You, we never get inside his head the way we would get into side of uh, Spider-Man's head, that type right. of thing. Right. And, uh, he is a, 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 a icon character is a perfect character around which everyone else kind of like uh, floats around or centers around, you know, mm-hmm. he's almost like a, going back to the Saturday morning trope. He's like captain planet, you know, and his, <laughs> uh, a, 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 with, and his for like he yeah. captain planet wasn't flawed, but the people, the, the kids who came together were, you know, mm-hmm. to make him. And also, like, Miss, I was thinking also another Saturday morning cartoon, uh, Mr. T, you know, mm. the Mr. T cartoon. Right. Mr. Yeah. T was, and this is also probably a better parallel because Human Fly is, because he was a character in real life, he had this uh, persona uh, the way that Mr. T was a character, you mm-hmm. know, was a, like Mr. T was always Mr. T he went on television, you know, he was always Mr. T in whatever iteration he wasn't an actor playing different things, you know, right, right. Uh, obviously in the Rocky film, he was playing a different character. I don't want people to come at me about that, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like he was always Mr. T, you know, yeah. and, and in his TV show, all, everyone was all the flaws, all the conflict, were, uh, that was around him and he was usually coming in to save the day or to teach a lesson or to be an example of some kind. And I, I see the human fly kind of fulfilling that role here. Um, 
you know, especially with the and I his name escapes me. Uh, oh, the Alex Marks, uh, the yes. the uh, the guy who was injured and is now afraid to drive again. You know, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it's a very common trope and a very interesting you know thing to have. Like he is pretty much the hero at the end. Right. He stops the bad guy and he gets his mojo back, you know? So that was the lesson or that was the thing he needed to learn, you know, or the, the experience he needed to have. And, uh, and once I realized this is the type of story that they're doing here, I'm like, okay, I get this. Like we're, your focus is not really on, uh, the human fly in terms of any sort of character development. You you're watching the human fly for the, you know, the feats of, of, of daring do and strength and things like that. Just like you would always, you were waiting for Mr. T to show up to clobber some people or to knock a wall in or something, right. you know, you're, you're not looking for the human fly for any sort of conflict. Instead, you're looking at the surrounding characters and, uh, to that end, like the, the interest, the character who interests me the most was, um, Harmony White, mm -hmm. uh, because not only is she incredibly hot, the way she's drawn by Car <laughs> Carmine Infantino. I mean, I, I, I think she poured herself into that sweater. I don't well, know. You, you, you know you just summoned Shag, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I need to burn some incense now or something. <laughs> Where's the sage? I know. But, uh, well, she's an incredibly gorgeous woman, and he was mm -hmm. not, uh, you know, Carmine Infantino was not holding back and drawing her as, like, a beautiful shape woman right right but she's also and i think she even mentions uh she refers to herself as like the next woodward and bernstein and so this is a post uh a watergate era mm -hmm. where people were really questioning uh the icons that people who were putting themselves out, out there as being like the examples to follow so she's like looking at the human fly and being like nah what's your deal you know, what's going on here? I want to know what's, uh, you know, your real story because you can't be this good. And I would assume that the rest of the series, and you don't need to like spoil this because I know you've got other episodes to do. I would assume that the rest of the series is going to be her eventually continuing her investigation and beginning to learn, oh, you know, he is a nice guy. I I'm assuming that issue 19, there isn't some massive reveal like he's secretly the Green Goblin or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And she begins to see that he is a good guy. So that's kind of an interesting thing for her, exploration for her to have, a journey for her to go on. You know, and the fact that she's just not uh, taking it at face value. I can, as a teacher, I appreciate a character who's like, I'm going to question this. I'm going to do some research. I'm going to figure this out for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I'm like, okay, I I'm, I'm with you on this journey. I think you're wrong, you know, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be interested in watching you learn that how wrong you are, you right. know? Well, and I think that's, that's a very interesting thing about harmony and her inclusion. Uh, you know, because there is a little bit of, you know, there's precedent. There's, there is, you know, the reporter who was chasing the Hulk, Sure. In the in the TV series, uh, who was basically like the investigator following um, the fugitive, yeah, uh, and uh, you know, so it it fits in that mold. But I think it's also interesting that, as you mentioned, you know, this is post Watergate, mm -hmm. and you know, it it's been said before how that was the loss of America's innocence. Sure, uh, and I think Harmony is the most realistic character. 
in, in you know she she gives that dose of realism that this comic needs because I think without it it would be really unbalanced mm-hmm. because as you mentioned you know the fly is almost too good <laughs> you yeah, know he's yeah. he he has no he has no moral flaws you know he has no no uh he does have doubts uh but that's those are usually quickly brushed away um and he is uh sure of what he's doing and why and the people around him you know the the characters the people who are in his crew are almost cult like <laughs> in their in their in their devotion to, I, I prefer, to the fly. I prefer unquestioning. I, I unquestioning. Wouldn't, I wouldn't, yes. I, I wouldn't put them in, in cult status. I mean the ones <laughs> fair, fair. But uh that, that sounds better. But they're, yeah, they're definitely they, they're definitely like on the uh the human fly bandwagon. Like they think for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that no question about that. And uh you know that if there wasn't a character like Harmony I think that would get grading really quick. Sure. And not to mention, you know, there is all these unbelievable things happening <laughs> in this comic and in this series. But the one thing that you, the thing that you have to have be believable is just the way people are. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way people act and the way they behave. And it makes sense for the crew to be so devoted to the fly because he essentially saved their lives. Sure. Uh, and they see him basically defying death every day. Uh, there's a, there's a panel in this comic where he says that he, that he's laughing behind his mask because the crowd is gasping and they think that he has a death wish. And what they don't understand is that it's an affirmation of life, you know, which is kind of mm-hmm. sums up, you know, the, the flies whole, uh, reason for being, but Without someone like Harmony to go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you got to be kidding me. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, like someone's going to question, like, you, if you're laughing behind your mask, you, something's wrong with you. You're crazy. Right. What, what's, your, what's really the story <laughs> here? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he's making, he's, he is earning all this money, but just gives it away, except for expenses, mm-hmm. all these things. You know, it, it would be too good to be true. And I can see in a post Watergate era, uh, because Harmony is, is, is supposed to be uh, a young woman, you know, she's not supposed to be older. Uh, and so it makes sense that Harmony would be question, questioning that Sure. because in that era, a lot of young people were, were questioning everything, uh, especially if it seemed too good to be true. So Harmony is uh, a very important character, I think in, in this series. Yeah, and also in terms of storytelling, uh, and again, I I don't want to sound like I'm uh, overanalyzing this. Of course, it's just I'm an English teacher; it's what I do. So uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's it just is what it is. Um, but you know, even stories that are written for children, and I I would even argue uh, this is this is something that is has that is actually required for stories that are written for children there needs to be some layering of conflict uh in order for it to uh not only engage the child but also to uh you know uh not only engage them in in the sense of it being entertaining but also to engage their brain their mind and to you know it's a layering of conflict that allows the uh, student or the child to be engaged in an uh, and on the an entertainment level, but also to you know, like 
I'd start uh, introducing them to the complexities of of life and also to uh, further stories to kind of like create that uh, that hunger for something that's a little bit more uh, a little bit more complicated, a little bit more uh, significant. And for instance, when I talk about conflict with my students, I, we always talk about like the external versus the internal conflicts and different ways that uh, a, a writer can bring conflict into the story. And you obviously have the external conflict here with the race. Like you have this this really, uh, you know, uh, horribly violent race. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was like, it's not bloody, but I'm like, oh, my God, these cars are just being demolished. And, <laughs> and then they're jumping over. Uh, they're trying to get over this this water filled canyon. And then they go into a cave and they're being blown out of the cave. Like it is like, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of external excitement, conflict that is, uh, you know, creating excitement for, uh, you know, any reader, you know, any young reader who's going to be like, oh, my God, now they're jumping over a canyon. Now they're being blown out of a cave. I'm surprised there wasn't like a, you know, an a, a element here where they fell into quicksand, which was always one of those tropes from the <laughs> 70s. You know? I'm sure if the if you had more, if Mantlo had a bigger page challenge, he probably would have gotten to it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but the. Um, but then there's also this layering of this other conflict, like you were saying, is uh, brings in the real world of this of this character of Harmony, who is questioning things, who is really trying to dig up like uh, who this uh, human fly really is. And I, I think as a reader, you know, as a young reader, you're supposed to feel. Uh, a little bit of like, uh, you're not really sure how to feel about Harmony White. You don't know if she's on the good side or the bad side, you know, not necessarily bad side as in she's a villain, but, you know, you're being introduced to the idea of an antagonist who isn't like a completely evil human being. Uh, unlike the the Barker, Cyrus T. Barker, you know, he's there's no redemptive qualities there. I mean, he's no. causing people to be harmed and whatever. And not even I, his I, infantino I, mustache is helping. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, with Harmony, I, I haven't. It's interesting because she is introducing conflict, but she isn't a character uh, that is a uh, a bad person. Like she isn't trying to you know to hurt somebody. So. I, as a teacher, I always appreciate when a story that is written for kids is introducing, even at a very basic level, uh, a layer of complication that you don't necessarily find in a lot of stories. Like you don't, you don't really see like fairy tales that the the evil people are always evil. You know, there isn't mm -hmm. a. Uh, it's very black and white, and when you start introducing these shades of gray or you know, different ways of looking at a character, uh, you know, or different, uh, uh, dimensions to a character. I, I'm, I, that was something that just really impressed me with the story. I'm like, okay, so Mantlo is, is trying to, uh, accomplish something here. And of course she's drawn incredibly beautiful by Infantino. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. But yeah, no, and I understand. I actually agree with you uh, in the criticism that the characters, it's, uh, you know, so far, especially the, the human fly, uh, are a little two dimensional. Uh, they haven't really been fleshed out yet. And in later issues, the fly does have uh, some inner monologue. 
Okay. Um, but it is it doesn't go very deep. It's always very much about whatever the situation is, you know, and trying to deal with the situation. Sure. It's very rarely about himself. And something I actually noticed when I was reading it, reading this issue again for the I don't know how many <laughs> what number of times, uh, but it occurred to me that the human fly is probably the only character that I can think of, at least. Uh, and I'm sure people are going to uh, have some ideas uh, that I haven't thought of. But he is the only character I can think of who has a truly secret identity, even from the readers. And that is very interesting, but I'm not sure if it is also to the character's detriment. Because that, along with the, the lack of, uh, of uh, an inner monologue, uh, inner dialogue that, that is um, monologue, mm-hmm. that is uh, revealing of his character in, in more depth. I think the, it makes the fly more of a surface character than he should be. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, and when I say, I just want to backtrack a second. When I say, when I said a uh, uh, two dimensional character, I, I wasn't meaning it as a criticism. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to like do, that wasn't me trying to put the book down because two dimensional characters do have a value, right? Uh, they do serve a purpose. Uh, it's, uh, in, in the in the stories that I was talking about, like with Mr. T and Captain Planet, you know, those characters who pop in and are perfect and, you know, they're meant to come in and save the day or to teach a lesson, you know, there's a there's a certain value to that. Um, but there is also a shelf life on that type of character and that type of story. Like it's it's not something that, um, you know, can uh, I think has a lot of longevity. I think with the perhaps with the character of Harmony, you're being introduced to this idea of an ongoing mystery. Who is the human fly, you know? Mm-hmm. And but even that is not something that's going to be sustainable because at some point you get tired of like in order for the series to continue, it, there can never be any revelation. But if right. there's never any revelation, <laughs> then that that gets that gets very tiresome after 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 a fashion. Yeah, and that yeah. that's something that uh, we we sort of brought up and talked about a little bit in the in the uh, previous episode, but yeah, it, I am very curious, you know, because you know the, just the, the way the industry was uh, functioning at the time, a lot of comics were were going into the dustbin, and the fly seems to have been one of those. I wonder how the fly would have continued. And how, mm-hmm. like you said, how could that have been sustained? What what direction would it have gone in? And, um, you know, I'll admit, I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I kind of trust in Mantlo's storytelling ability. But I, like you said, I think eventually, you know, he'd have to start giving up some secrets about the, the human fly. Even sure. though 19 issues, you know, that's that's almost, that's nearly two years. Yeah. And so, you know, he was able to sustain it for that long, but how much longer could that have been done? That's yeah, absolutely. Uh, and how would it have ultimately been disappointing? Like, where do you go as a writer? Do you do the revelation? Because, you know, as you know, 
what happens often in the case when, when a writer does creates a revelation of a great mystery, like the TV show Lost was very infamous for this. And when it revealed things, people were ultimately disappointed mm, by them. Right. And, right. And like, uh, you know, how do you when you build up the mystery, like what story could he possibly give to the human fly that was going to uh, live up to any kind of expectations a reader would have had at the time? Right. And, uh, and no, and I understand what you're saying about, uh, about two dimensional characters, because in this story, the closer I looked at it, the more I realized that it is not the fly story. Like you mentioned, he's mm-hmm. there for the action, you know, yeah. he's there, he's there for the burning lakes and the spikes coming out of the ground, which is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> brutal. Oh my God. I don't, and don't you know, forget the fan in the wind tunnel or the fan in the cave that makes the wind tunnel that, that made yeah. me laugh out loud. <laughs> I'm like what? <laughs> It, these are very <laughs> elaborate death traps, and, and but you know uh, th- this is really Harmony White and Alex Marx's story because yeah. they are the ones who solve the mystery, who stop the crime, and uh, the Fly and and uh, Ghost Rider are really just there to express the action. Yeah, and provide but, the spectacle. Yeah, right. And the but the story. The actual core of the story is being handled by Harmony mm-hmm. and Alex Marks to a to a lesser degree. That kind of uh, goes to what you're saying about the fly kind of being the catalyst, but not necessarily the focus. Sure. And, and you know, and I think that's a very smart uh, way of telling the story, especially when you have a character, a main character, like uh, that you can't reveal too much about, mm-hmm. right? And that may have been, you know, I. Um, I wasn't able to find too much about what, uh, Bill Matlow had to say. Uh, I never, like, I didn't find anything about him talking about the human fly in any way, shape or form, but I would, I would have been interested to know, like, was that a choice he was making, like as a writer wanting to tell a good story and being, I don't want to say saddled, but being, you know, told from his editorial, like gods, you know, you need to write this story about this licensed property that we have, and we need to sell books and try to make him as popular as possible. But as a writer, you still want to tell a good story. So, you know, that choice that he makes, it was probably his attempt to make a story that was worthwhile. Like, like you have to write around the main character in a sense, uh, and where you are putting in like the complication, uh, with other characters, you are creating the conflict with other characters and you basically are making these other characters, the, the drivers of the story, so to speak. Right. And, you know, and there is, um, you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to give a, a comic called The Human Fly more credit than it really needs. But <laughs> the uh, but there is some subtle character building by by Mantlo, and again, this is why I'm so impressed by his by his storytelling ability because he sneaks these things in here mm-hmm. that are layered under a, you know spectacle is a good word for it. You, you mentioned that earlier. One thing I noticed was that the only stake that the human fly has in this, the only reason really, I mean, he's probably also trying to make, raise money for charity and might have been there anyway, but he is there mainly to help Alex Marks regain his confidence. Sure. He's there almost as a sponsor for, mm-hmm. for this broken man. And otherwise, there's really no reason for him to be there. You know, I thought that was, it was a nice way to reemphasize what the 
Fly's whole thing is about. You know, this selflessness mm-hmm. and this trying to inspire others mm-hmm. to basically be their best self. You know, it, it's it's funny for these <laughs> for these goofy Bronze Age Marvel comics. Uh, Benel really he really kind of squirreled away some interesting things into them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think that's giving the, uh, the, the writing or the comic book too much credit, you know, like I'm, and we're, uh, I think that's us as adults looking back and saying, uh, Oh, okay. This is something that this writer was doing with what was essentially a throwaway story for children. Right. Um, you know, this was something that, uh, if this was like going back to the Saturday morning cartoon, you know, this would have been something that kids would have watched and moved on with their day. You know, that this wouldn't have been something that, uh, would have garnered a lot of focus or attention. Uh, but you know, it's, it almost works subliminally in that, you know, the kids are reading this story and, they're going to pick up on this extra stuff, not maybe not consciously, but they're going to like, they're going to be able to tell a difference between this kind of story that has a little bit more, uh, meat to it than something else that is just meant to like here, kids, uh, digest this because we want you to go out and buy the toy that's related to it. That type right. of thing. Right. And, you know, and, and so I, I, I think we can look back on that and I can appreciate, you know, the fact that Mantlo was really, you know, making an effort as, as, you know, as simplistically as he possibly could. I mean, this is not sure. a, this is not Watchmen where the characters are <laughs> completely like just, uh, uh, you know, uh, very, have a lot of depth and complexity. And that's yeah. not what I'm trying to get at here. Don't, don't give, don't give anyone any ideas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's almost harder to do what Matt Lowe is doing in the sense that he has this story where, you know, he, he has this property he needs to push. It's a very tough balancing act to have. Like, how much do I put into this, but still keeping the commercial value that's supposed to, that I'm supposed to be putting into the story that, I mean, it's like just one of those things where like, I can really appreciate it. You know, it's something I I remember and I'm I'm going off with another example, but this is kind of how I do things. So I I apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, my best friend's daughter got into the DC superhero girls big mm-hmm. time. And I don't know if you're familiar with the DC superhero girls at all. I was just had heard of them and I was visiting uh, my best friend and his family one time. And, you know, his, his daughter found out that I was a comic book fan. And so she was like, Oh, I watched the DC superhero girls. Can we like, uh, so we sat down and we watched an episode and I was surprised at, uh, again, I had the same kind of feeling like whoever was writing these episodes, it's definitely geared for children, uh, specifically girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't say that as like, as being like derogatory towards sure. it, but, uh, whoever was writing these stories, one like knew the DC universe and understood these characters in a, in a, in a very deep way, but then was also adapting them to be more palatable for children. You know, uh, when I'm like, I looked at one character and they, and I was like, who is that character? I didn't really recognize her. And, you know, uh, my friend's daughter turned around and she's, Oh, that's Shiva. 
And I'm like, are mm-hmm. they putting Lady Shiva into wow. <laughs> see Superheroes Girl cartoon? Okay, it's like, all right, you have my attention, you know, with this. Yeah. My wow. point is, is that when you're writing something and it's for children, it's it's. I look at it as having a, you have a greater responsibility to make sure you're not necessarily a lesson. I'm not saying it has Mm -hmm. to be a moral or anything like that, but, you know, giving them a story that they can take in, but you're giving them something a little bit more than, I guess it's like you're giving them more of a, of a a healthy sandwich rather than just giving them a a tasty cake to eat, you know, type of thing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand. And I think, uh, one of the things that works about these stories too is how rereadable they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I've I've read these comics many times, but you know, just in the, in this discussion, I'm I'm still finding things uh, that I hadn't noticed before, uh, and maybe I'm just thinking about it differently. But sure. you know, uh, whether that's the case or not, Mantlo put that in there. Mm-hmm. You know, in in you know, however deep he buried it. And I, I've seen this, you know, you're mentioning kids and, you know, uh, young readers and uh, young adult readers. I think a lot of times those stories are, uh, what, what makes them interesting is that they're about much more than it looks like on the surface. I, you know, I think that was Mantlo's gift. I think it's certainly, uh, it's, it, it's certainly uh, apparent in, in, uh, in these uh, Human Fly comics, the more I read them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that kind of leads me to to uh, my next question, I guess. Where do you, do you see a place for the human fly today? Oh, um, I, I don't know. Not not as he was presented in the seventies. Not mm-hmm. in this comic. Not uh, how would how would you update it? I don't know. Uh, unless he unless you really leaned into like he is, uh, I don't want to say give him powers, but make him almost like, uh, the supernatural character who is maybe drawn to places where he knows he needs to go help somebody. Mm. Um, and he has his entourage that follows him. And if I was writing it, I would, I would probably extend more what Mantlo was doing and give the, the characters around him, the complications, give them the mm. flaws, give them the conflict that they need to, uh, that they're, that they have to, uh, navigate something you said earlier when you were like, he was, you said that he was almost there as like a, uh, uh, a sponsor for, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Matt, Mark, Marks. Mark, Alex Marks. Uh, Marks. And he, and he's, he's, he's there because of Marks because Marks needs his help. So I, I mean, it got me thinking like, well, maybe he is drawn to these moments where are these uh, people who need his help, you know, and, and maybe like draw, uh, write him as a character who's kind of like, uh, uh, very knowing in the sense of like, almost like a phantom stranger type of mm. character where he shows up and he's like, I, I, this is what's going to happen. I know this character needs my help, you know, and I'm going to, and in the, in the process of helping him, I'm going to be doing some great stunts and action sequences. Right. <laughs> yeah. So someone um, who's very empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And also maybe like directing the people, a part of his entourage, uh, mm-hmm. to like help the person out. Like I'm going to go do this stunt. And while I'm doing the stunt, you go and, uh, 
you know, take care of the, uh, go take care of this. You know, right. it's, it even he even does this in this uh, issue to a certain extent because when he switches places with Marx, it's giving Marx the opportunity to watch the safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would probably write it as whereas the the human fly knew that that's what Marx needed to do because he knew he needed to have that confrontation with uh, with uh, Cyrus Barker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like have yeah. him, give him give him that added layer of like, OK, this is how it had to happen in order for him to fully uh, recover from his uh, lack of confidence and to know that he's able to to once again be a skillful driver like he was like he he ha- he is he is able to recover from his accident, you know, mm-hmm. or from his injuries. Right. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I mean, because, of course, there there is that temptation to give him some sort of power, especially if you're updating yeah. him. Uh, which I think well, is the I only would, way it I wouldn't would even make it that overt. Like it wouldn't be something right. that, uh, like he's not super powered as in like he's got invulnerability, but maybe this subtle hint of him knowing, uh, where to head to next. If, if that yeah. is, if you were going to go with the, the, the premise of he's going to be a mystery character, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I totally agree. It would have to be a passive kind of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't. So what? He would need uh, a new costume too. I'm sorry, but I love this costume. Well, maybe make it a pastiche of the costume, but not a, uh, I mean, <laughs> it know. is pretty flashy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think I, part of the reason I like this costume so much is because it reminds me of Stingray. Oh Ooh. yeah. 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 Which is another obscure character that I was obsessed with for a little while. Uh, <laughs> And so I, I think that that red and white, you know, thing for some reason just uh, appeals to me. But uh, so maybe let's backtrack just, a little. Maybe if they've just got rid of the cape. Maybe if they just, you know, uh, the, the, the cape, cape is a little, yeah, the cape yeah, a little, little much. much. <laughs> <laughs> but he has to keep the baton. I insist on on the baton. <laughs> uh, well, let, let me backtrack a little bit. So, what did you think of the story itself? Mm-hmm. What did you think of the story overall? I was engaged with it. That's the main thing. Like if I'm going to read a story, am I interested in what's going to happen next? Am am I going to want to turn the page? And I was, uh, and it wasn't just because I knew I was coming on the podcast with you. I was legitimately like entertained by the story. So I can, I can say to that end, yes, I can, um, I enjoyed it to that extent. Is it something that I would, as a reader, naturally gravitate to? Probably not. Like I wouldn't necessarily feel the need to be like to pick up a next issue because I didn't see anything here that as a reader now, as Mm -hmm. who I am now that would have like, like engaged me mainly because um, I can see where certain things are going. Like uh, the, the only thing, only unanswered questions for me are, is the only unanswered question for me was uh, whether or not uh, Harmony was ever going to figure out who uh, the human fly is. And that isn't, uh, that that wouldn't have been enough to make me want to come back for another issue. I I felt like I, I, okay, maybe I'll pick up another issue if there, if I saw the cover and it was, had something interesting on it, like the ghost rider one, you know, it wouldn't be something I necessarily felt like I had to keep coming back to on a monthly basis. Sure. So, uh, having said all that, is the human fly something that you would recommend to other people? 
if, if I knew the person would be into that kind of a story, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I would, I would tell them that's, this is what the kind of story you're going to get <laughs> right. a lot of, a lot of daring do a lot of action and you know, the, the more interesting character moments are going to be the peripheral characters. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend this to like a, a young reader. Like, a, like mm-hmm. if I had like my nephew, when he was a young boy, I would have, I would have, and he was actually into racing quite a bit. So this is kind of like a, a story that would have been up his alley in a big way. I probably would have let him read this or let him like introduce him to this. But, uh, you know, just as a way, like, like I said, I think it was a little bit more meat on the bone here with this story. So I would have been more inclined to show this to him than something else, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, I would have considered to be a little too, like, like I said, like just basically trying to sell a toy or sell a product of some kind, right? Like right. definitely more here than, uh, than some other things I've, I've seen or read over the years. And I, and I think that's probably where things would have gone eventually. I'm, I'm sure that was the, uh, the hope of of the people who own the license for uh, the human fly, the like, um, action figure line or something. Yeah, like that. Some, you know, some merchandise, you know, but that that unfortunately never happened. Uh, was, well. So you know, we we will never get our human fly action figure, even though I have seen some customs out there. Maybe if he had actually jumped all those buses that he intended to jump. <laughs> Disaster! <laughs> I know, I know. Man, he tried. He gave yeah. it a shot. <laughs> so do you, do you have anything else that any other notes or anything else you wanted to say about the? No, I, I've, I've actually hit on everything I wanted to hit on. Uh, I'm, I mean, I, uh, when I, like I said, when I read this story, I was engaged. Um, it gave me definitely vibes of Saturday morning cartoon type of stuff in uh, the best possible way. You know, like I, I could see that this was a, uh, n- not a mindless endeavor, even though it was a, uh, you know, a, a, a property or something that was written definitely to, to, uh, promote a product, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so I really appreciated, uh, it on that level, but other than that, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, this is type of book where you, what you see is what you get, which is a good thing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, uh, for once, what happens on the cover is actually exactly what you're going to get inside. (laughs) There is, there is is no, uh, you know, confabulation there. That, that is, that is what you're going to get. Although you you don't get any images on the inside of the human fly pretending to be Rose from Titanic. No, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately he, he actually never says, Oh, I'm flying. But, uh, yeah, the, so a couple of notes I had harmony, at, at, I think I briefly mentioned it in the summary, but she is at this point she is comp- she has compiled a list of five suspects of uh, people she thinks could be the human fly because they all had devastating accidents around the same time and they all recovered. And uh, Alex Marks was the first person the the first person that she had a chance to investigate in in a sense. This is the only time we'll see that list. This is oh, really? that, that, that whole thing is promptly dropped and never mentioned again. So we never see the other four guys. We never see Harmony go after oh, that. Oh my gosh. That is, so, that is disappointing. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she, she does continue to, to investigate the fly and she does continue to, you know, think he's just, you know, full of it, but we never see that list again. And I don't know if Mantla would have come back to that maybe, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, after, after, you know, there are 17 issues after that. I think at that point, that's a, that idea is gone. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you would bring yeah. that back. 
but yeah, unfortunately, that you know, Harmony's hit list is is uh, no more after this. Oh issue. my gosh, because you know what I was thinking about, uh, what I was thinking where it was going to lead, uh, is that all of those men, just like uh, Marx, were are men that uh, the human fly was aiming to help in some way. Mm-hmm. Like none of them are him, but as he is going to these places wherever they are, and Harmony's following along, thinking that she's going to figure it out, I thought it was going to be along the lines of, "Oh no, he's actually here to help these people," and I thought that was going to be part of her process uh, to learning that the human fly is actually a good person. Right. right? Which would have made perfect sense, and then, you, you know, know that that would have given you another four issues. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. You know. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I, I burst the bubble there. Oh, that's well, well, it is what it is. You know, maybe at some point, maybe editorial came down too quickly and said, <laughs> no, we need nothing but action-packed stories. Don't give me this silly complication. Maybe, you know? maybe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but, and and the, uh, the only other note I had was uh, the human fly was ahead of its time accidentally. There is actually a variant of this comic. This was published around the time that cover prices changed. So uh, the one that came out originally is uh, priced at 30 cents, which is the one I have. And there is another one that is 35 cents. Oh. Which, you oh. know, came out around the same time. I don't know exactly how how those overlapped, but there is a 35 cent human fly out there that I now need to find. <laughs> <laughs> So. Is there anything different about it other than the the price? No, tag? just the price. Okay, but, but I'm a sucker that way, so I will be looking, <laughs> I will be looking for it. <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's how it goes. Oh wow, that's oh well, that's that's an interest. I didn't. I would have never thought that the transition from price of a comic would have occurred like uh, within the, for the same issue. Like I would have mm-hmm. thought like issue two would have been one price. Oh, the next month the prices are going up. Right. You know, that's what, that's what I would have thought too. I mean, it's oh, almost okay. like they changed prices in the middle of the run of the print run. Yeah. Oh, that's so. interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe yeah, so. it was selling so well, they figured, Hey, let's up the price. <laughs> on this. <laughs> you know? I, I don't you know. know what that's, that is going to be my head cannon now. That's what I choose to believe. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that is all I had. And, yeah. that, you know, I think that's that you said that was all you had, unless you had something else to add to that. No, actually, I, I thank you for giving me this opportunity to read this uh, really enjoyable comic. It's, otherwise, I never this never would have been on my radar in a million years. So I, I appreciate <laughs> you uh, uh, like pegging me to do this. Yeah, no, and thank you for, for coming on, uh, you know, uh, a little behind the scenes you uh you agreed to to come on the show at the last minute uh yeah. as a as a favor for me and uh you know i cannot tell you how glad i am and uh and how much i appreciate that where can people find you oh wow uh i that's the first time i've been asked that since i've been doing this <laughs> i i am on uh social media uh facebook i'm kind of hard to find because i've got some security things up uh because of uh, I, I don't want students finding me, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but uh, if you you can look me up at Steve Givens on Facebook. I'm also um, on Twitter. I have a blog called It's a Givens Blog, uh, and uh, it's my that's my Twitter handle. You can find me there. I'm following all the uh, uh, Fire and Water uh, Network people, uh, including you, Mr. Romero. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, that's where people can find me, and you'll you can find me on the uh, 
on the Fire and Water uh, Network page, uh, I'm constantly leaving comments here and there about different things. And uh, <laughs> I'm uh, on a few episodes here and there of different things. So uh, people can get to hear me. <laughs> All right. And well, get fantastic. sick of me subsequently. <laughs> no, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think you've, you've been a great guest. I well, really appreciate that, Steve. Oh, you're welcome. Very welcome. All right. So, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, the Death Defying Human Flycast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you'd like to subscribe or leave a comment for the Human Flycast, you can do that on our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the Human Flycast on Twitter at Human Flycast and be sure to follow and tag the network with hashtag FWPodcasts. You can also reach me at humanflycast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and really, why wouldn't you? Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution and unlock various rewards, including getting name-checked on this or any network show of your choice. Support the network and reap the rewards. And remember, the wildest superheroes are real. 